Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Um, by way of, little by way of introduction, because uh, the, the body here has changed a lot in the last, uh, even in the last six months or so, and um, uh, some of you may, may, not, may not know me. So uh, just by way of introduction, my name is Cameron. Um, I am one of the pastors here, one of the three pastors here at Conduit, but primarily uh, pastor our Conduit North location, which meets Saturday night at 5 p.m. at Papa Joe's Laundromat on 2nd Street. Um, it's okay, you're allowed to chuckle at that reality. Um, we're, we're, we're still determining it's, you know, like how funny it should be and how holy it is, you know, um, because it's, uh, it's a new thing for us. You know, we spent the first year, Conduit North is a year old, okay, and we spent the first year um, leasing a space uh, in a Baptist church on the north side of the city, and then we've just been, we've been at Papa Joe's for the last two weeks. Let me tell you what, um, it's been amazing. It has been like over the top, incredible and amazing. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll share with you that um, Conduit North is not a, a traditional church in really any sense of uh, the imagination. And if we yeah, we kind of were for a year. Uh, I tell you what, that has that ship has sailed. Like um, when you when you meet in uh, in the back of a laundromat, it it takes on a, a whole different meaning. It's a whole different animal. Um, it's uh, messy, not in the dirty sense, but it's messy. It's chaotic. Sometimes uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But man, is it holy ground. <laughs> Man, has it been holy ground. And, um, and I, if, I, if I have any encouragement for you, um, if any exhortation for you, it would be that Conduit North needs missionaries. It needs, it needs people who are, who are willing to be on mission in the north side of Jamestown to work in a laundromat to help people do their laundry, um, to... Uh, to welcome children. I tell you, I don't know, I, I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my wife's cookies or what, but like the kids in the neighborhood, they're just like, they're flocking there. And, um, and, and I'll t- well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the reasons that I, that, that I believe that I've been a part of, I've been a part of churches for a long time. I've been a pastor for almost 13 years now. Uh, I've been a part of a lot of different churches, and I've never encountered a church like Conduit where, uh, where, where when you say it's a safe place, it's really true. Like, a Conduit is a safe place. Um, it's a safe place to bring your family. It's a safe place to bring your friends. I, I think over... Over all of those, though, it's a safe place to bring your brokenness. It's a safe place to bring the chaos of life. It's a safe place um, to bring all of the things that you feel uncomfortable out uh, unpacking from the baggage of your life. Conduit's a safe place to unpack that. It's not always, it doesn't always um, 
Uh, it doesn't always produce things that are really neat and tidy and put together and look like you would expect church life to look like, but it is, man, it is holy ground when you find a safe place like that. And, and I think that, that people flock to places where the love is so real and the love is so authentic and there are no strings attached to the extension of compassion and mercy and love. And, and I think that when we incarnate the love of Jesus, right, that people flock to the place where the incarnation of Jesus is being revealed. And it's being revealed here at 120 Delaware. And it's being revealed over at Papa Joe's on 2nd Street. And, and, and we're creating safe places for people to encounter the radical love of Jesus Christ through his people. And I think that's why the cookies help. But I think that's why it's been so amazing. I want you to be a part of that. I'm glad you're a part of it here. Um, I'm glad that you're here uh, this morning. I just love teaching the Word of God and um, so so honored to be able to to have that that privilege, um, that responsibility um, among you this morning. I don't take it lightly. None of our pastors take it lightly. Um, we have a deep sense of responsibility, a deep sense of um, ownership of the calling that God has uh, put on our lives to communicate with, with honor and integrity, uh, gentleness, but truth. And sometimes those things are not, uh, they're like a teeter-totter, right? You always find the balance between um, the, the gentleness of communication and, the, and sometimes the very difficult truth of God's Word. And um, that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. I'm going to tell you right, on, uh, right, right up front, you're going to open your Bible if you have one. You're going to look at the heading, at the title of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you're going to be like, well, that doesn't sound like a very safe place. Okay? So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 we're in a, a series on the book of uh, the letter to the Corinthians. So, and if you're there, you're already asking the question: Well, how are we going to spin this in a safe way? Um, there's no spinning. Okay, we're not spinning anything this morning. We're gonna we're gonna try and um, we're gonna try and um, open up some nuances to what's being dealt with and how what Paul's trying to say here. But I also want to be really honest with you, okay? Since you're in a safe place, Paul um, writes this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. He says, it's actually uh, reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. 
Uh, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and of truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such man do not even eat. What business, uh, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So expel the wicked man from among you. It does not seem as though Paul is creating a very safe space. And so what does this mean for... What did this mean for them? What does it mean for us? Um, let's have as best as we can an understanding of what Paul uh, was trying to accomplish here. Because when we look at 1 Corinthians um, uh, verse, or chapter 5, verse 1, I think we need, to make, uh, we need to make something really clear here. Is that there was a, a certain situation that was happening in the church in Corinth that Paul was addressing. And that situation is unraveled right there in verse 1. He says, It's reported among you that there is a form of sexual immorality that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. There's some form of incestuous sexual relationship that is, being, um, that it, that is happening within the body of the Corinthian church. And Paul points out that, hey, guys, this is something that doesn't even happen among those who have no faith in Jesus Christ. So, so what exactly is going on here? But, but the point that I want to get across, I think what is, what is um, most important for us to understand here is that um, Paul's point is not to cherry-pick a specific type of, or brand or category of sin from a whole bucket of sins and pick on that particular one. So he's not like, okay, we have this big bucket of, well, we have greed and we have anger and we have unforgiveness of heart and we have sexual immorality. And yeah, I don't really like sexual immorality more than... I, that's the one I dislike the most. So I'll pick that out of the bucket and then I'll rail on the Corinthians about that. See, that's not what Paul is trying to do here. For Paul, the issue is not the specific sin. The issue is that within the Corinthian church, there is a reveling, almost a proudness, a pride in the fact that any sin at all is allowed to exist 
without being, uh, without being approached or encountered with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. The point is not that Paul has an axe to grind when it comes to sexual immorality. The point is that Paul has an axe to grind when sin is not treated as sin and is only treated as something like, ah, well, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's there. It exists, but it's not a big deal. Corinthians, just be proud. I mean, just... Just live into the freedom of God's grace. Just live into the freedom of God's forgiveness. Just, just keep on doing what you're doing. You're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. Everyone's okay. And what Paul says here is, look, hey, look, look, it's not okay. It's not. And see, this is where we find ourselves in, this is where we find ourselves in the church. We will go, like, to extreme measure to create safe places for every single person who walks through our doors, who we encounter, to, to, be, to have a safe place to experience and encounter the Holy Spirit of God. There is nothing that you can walk through that door carrying, right, that we're going to say, we're a little uncomfortable with that, right? It's a little bit too much for us, right? I think if you've been here any amount of time, you know that already. I don't got to bring that to you too strongly. Like, I think you know that about conduit. But, listen, you know what the other side of the teeter-totter is? Like, we want to create this balancing act, right? We, want, we don't want to go too far down one way, Right? Or too far down the other way. The balancing act of all of that is that we love you enough to create super safe places for you to experience the Holy Spirit of God. But we believe that God's purpose for you, God's best for you, God's, God's love for you compels you, compels us, compels the church to holiness. And so there's a necessity for safe place. Absolutely. But a place that is so safe that you would allow us the opportunity to approach issues like this and say, It's not okay. It's not okay. Um, so we're going to walk through here um, some of these, some of, some of the particulars of this passage, okay? So if the issue then is not the particular sin, right? It's not the particular sin. This is just the example that was happening in the Corinthian church. And Paul's just like, look, it wouldn't matter if it was greed, right? If it, it wouldn't matter if it was unforgiveness. What, what matters is, is that there's this habitual pattern of sinfulness in, in the midst of the body, right? 
and you're not grieving over it. You're not seeing it for what it is. You're not recognizing the damage that it will do, not just to the person and the individual, but to the body as a whole. He says in verse 2, a man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the one who has done this? The Corinthians were boasting. They were boasting in the freedom that the gospel offers. And you do this, and I do this all the time, right? I have been offered freedom and forgiveness and grace immeasurable by faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's periods of time in my life where I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking, right? I am tempted in, a, in an unholy direction, right? And I all of a sudden go through this, this mental, emotional, spiritual conversation. Do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Well, if I do it, I mean... I just say that prayer of forgiveness before I go to bed at night, and it's like, it's good, right? I mean, there's freedom there, right? There's, there's, there's grace there. There's forgiveness there. God was always going to forgive me. God is, all, his grace is always, his grace is amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely, 100%, I get it. We'll not argue with you any amount over, over that, but... But what, what, the, what is happening in the Corinthian church is that they're, that they're using the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the freedom of the gospel as an excuse to live unholy lives. As an, as an excuse to walk in a way that, that does not glorify Jesus. And what Paul is going to say later in this chapter is like, look, there's a whole world looking at you. You are representing what it means to live in the midst of the grace and freedom that God gives to you. You are representing the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free from the very things that you're practicing and celebrating, while at the same time, the other side of your mouth, celebrating the fact that you still get to do them. Paul's like, nah, not good, not okay. Why is this boasting in the presence of sin? Why is it not okay? Why, why is it not okay for, for us to live, live a life where we have experienced the, the freedom and the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ and, and to walk in that freedom and to walk without shame? Why is it not okay to then live lives of sin in the expectation that I can do this because I do have forgiveness. I do have freedom. There is grace. Why is that not okay? Well, it's not okay for a few reasons. One, it's not okay because it betrays that we have a false understanding of what it means to be forgiven. 
We have a false understanding of what it means to receive the grace of God. We have a false understanding of what it means when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us and transforms us and sanctifies our life. What it means to be a new creation. That when we, that when we repent of those things that have kept us far from God, it means that we have turned, uh, the, the word repentance means an actual physical turning of our backs upon an old self, upon an old life so that now we may walk in a different direction, not turning around, not, not looking in the rear view of our lives to keep an eye on all of the things that we want to be about, but, but walking in a new way, in a new life, experiencing the freedom that grace gives us to live without shame. There's a reason that the windshield of your car is a lot larger than the rearview mirror. It's because you should be looking that way and not that way. But one of the key reasons that Paul uses here to explain why boasting in the presence of sin in the body is not okay is not good, has nothing to do with me as an individual and everything to do with us as a body, with the church as a body. 21st century, we live very individualistic lives, right? We're very private. My stuff is my stuff. It's not your stuff. Don't you worry about what I'm doing. You worry about what you're doing, right? And then, you know, uh, there, there's some credence to that, right? Don't you worry about you, or don't you worry about me. You worry, you worry about you. But, but listen, when, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, um, we relinquish our claim on individuality. Because we have surrendered our individuality to the lordship of Jesus Christ and come under the authority and lordship and fellowship of the body of Christ. We are a part of a body. You are a part of a family. And the head of that family is Jesus Christ. And so... Why is boasting in the midst of my sinfulness not a good thing? Because it doesn't just affect me. Like a spot of cancer that is not removed from the body can spread and disease and eventually kill the entire body. So the same, Paul says, look, the reason that we don't boast in, this, in reveling in the, the freedom for everyone to just do whatever they want, I'm okay, you're okay, everyone's okay, just keep on sinning, God will forgive, is because eventually the cancer that exists within the individual's heart who refuses to let go of sin and walk in the freedom of the grace that God has given to them, what will eventually happen is that disease, that sickness, that cancer will spread to the entire body and it won't just be about you anymore. Now it's about everyone else. 
Now it's about the way in which it, it, it affects the entire church. It affects the entire body. It affects the whole. What is the language that Paul uses here? He uses the language of leaven. Okay? If you turn over to verse 6, you'll see here what he means. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? You know, when you make a whole batch of dough, right? You're making like four or five loaves of bread and you got a, you know, you got a bowl the size of Texas, okay? How much yeast do you put in the bowl, right? I mean, the packets of yeast are like this big, right? The thing about, um, the thing about leaven, all right, the thing about, the thing about yeast is that it has a non-proportional effect in regards to its size. So it's not proportional. Uh, A little can affect a lot. A little bit of yeast leavens a large amount of dough. So the argument could have been made by the Corinthian church, by this this particular person or persons. Hey, look, Paul, you just worry about you, man. Don't you worry about me. Don't you worry about what's going on and what I'm doing, what's going on in my life. Like, man, I'm forgiven. Like, it's, it's fine. It's cool. There's no big problem. Like, this is a big church. This is a big city. If there's something going on with me, you, you don't got to worry about it. It's just one thing. And Paul's like, no, because you don't, you don't understand that at little things left to their own devices end up becoming really big things and even bigger things because a little bit of, le- a little bit of yeast leavens the whole batch. And it takes some mixing, and it takes some kneading, and it takes some working, but eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leaven that whole batch of dough, bro. And it's going to get there. So no, it's not just about you. You're wrong. It's not just about you. It's about us all. But, but here's the difficult part, okay? And I, I am totally aware of how, of how horse, this is a horse pill to swallow, Okay? I get it. In fact, I probably get it more than any of you get it. Right? Um, Because I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, but church is my life. Like we, if if you had any idea what your three pastors walk with and through Every day. Every day. The people that we walk with, the brokenness that we walk, that, that, we, that we try to help repair in people's lives, like the, the work that happens, like if you had any idea, I just, it's so real. And we feel it so heavily. 
and we carry it every day. It's the last thing I think of when I go to bed. It's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning, right? So we feel it, and I understand the nuances of difficult things like this better than most, okay? So I'm not just some guy standing up talking about things that I have no idea about. I get it. This is difficult. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not important. The most significant things that I have learned in life, the most significant periods or seasons or times of growth personally that I have experienced have come at the hands of the things that were most difficult to deal with. Almost nothing that I have learned, almost nothing that I would say, yeah, I'm going to keep that lesson. I love what God, what God is doing in me and through me because of that. Almost nothing has happened like that that has come about through a positive experience. We almost always learn and grow the most through things that nearly kill us. Difficult reality. Okay? What is Paul's, um, what is his solution? What is the thing that Paul says, okay, so let's just get down to brass tacks, Corinthians. You have, um, there's a large group of people, you're all worshiping, right? There is, there is a, um, a, a, a situation going on that the vast majority of you know about, and, and rather than dealing with it, and rather than addressing it, you're just like, well, they're forgiven, and there's freedom, and there's grace, and, and we don't want to be considered unloving, and we don't want to be considered not a safe place for this person to live, so that we'll just kind of kind of let them go on with what they're doing, even though um, we all know that there's something hanky going on here, not okay, but ah, whatever. And Paul's like, no, this cannot happen, right? Cannot happen. It is a disease and a sickness that will spread to the entire body. Not necessarily the actual thing, but the spirit that says this is okay, that it's okay to live in the midst of sin without this push towards sanctification. No, listen. Listen, you are so safe here. So safe. But God has so much more for you. God has so much better for you. God desires more for you than you could, if you wrote down your greatest goals, your greatest dreams, your greatest wishes, your greatest vision for your life in every area, your marriage, your family, your finances, your job, how you feel emotionally, the state of your mind, the state of your spirituality. You could write down your best laid plans and God's are better for you than you could ever ask or even imagine, right? But sometimes to get you there, you need to walk through things that are wholly and fully uncomfortable. Because those are the processes, those are the things that bring you to the place that you couldn't have gone on your own, right? You have your plans, you have your goals, you have your dreams, and you think they're the best, right? But how many of us are willing to walk through the things that are extremely hard to get to the things that we know are the best. We don't, right? We always look for the easy route, but the easy route never leads to the best place. It's the hard route that leads to the best place. And so when Paul says here, okay, what is the, 
What do we do then, guys? What do we do? You know that sometimes environments of safety like this can be so safe that we're like, you know, understand that this, we'll just use the example of the Corinthians. We understand that this uh, relationship is really important to you. You seem to not be willing to let it go. You seem to be not willing to say goodbye to it. You seem to be not willing to, uh, to want to even, like, um, entertain the idea that this is not God's best for you. So, um, honestly, you know what? Go ahead and have it. Have it. If that's what you want, have it. Chew on it. Take it. It will kill you. You will choke on it. You cannot chew it enough to swallow it and make it good for you. It will do nothing but horrible things for you. And if you insist on chewing on this thing that will eventually do nothing but kill you, you need to do it someplace else. And when you have determined and decided that what you've been chewing on doesn't actually taste that good, the safety of this place to become more and more and more and more like Jesus is still available for you. In fact, if you want to let go of it right now, in this very place, if you've had enough, if what this is saying to you is enough for you to be like, you know what? Um, um, I don't want it. I'm not, I, I don't want it. Right? Then we can lay it down today. We can lay it down right here in this moment. Right? You don't, got, you don't got to carry it anymore. You don't got to chew on it anymore. You don't have to, don't have, to have it anymore. It can be done and over with right now, even in this moment. But I tell you what, and this is probably as strong as I will ever come across as a pastor, I will not let you destroy the church. I will not let the obstinacy of an unrepentant, unforgiving heart become a cancer or a leaven that spreads to disease others. I love you so much. But there are 284 other people that I love as well. And sometimes the most loving thing that can be done is to let you have the thing that you think you need the most, but that we all know you're just going to choke on. And we'll be there to give you the proverbial Heimlich maneuver, right? But we earnestly want what's best for you and what's best for the church.